Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Do you struggle with addiction, depression, or anxiety? Our guest primarily works with entrepreneurs seeking relief from the stress of overwhelm. Brian is an MA in somatic psychology at the Naropa University. He has studied and practiced both Zen and Tibetan Buddhism for over 30 years. He's also trained with Byron Katie and has practiced the work of Byron Katie for over 20 years. Brian's motive through his studies and search was to synthesize and distill the essence of what makes a knowledge of our fundamental okayedness possible and easily accessible. And so without any further delay, I'd like to welcome Brian Adler. Hey. Hey, Dylan. Good to see you, Good. Brother. How are you doing? Yeah, you too. Very, very good. I'm very okay at this. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> man, it's, it's always epic to talk with you, man. Um, whenever I whenever I chat with you, I always get this, like, super sense of being grounded and super sense of, like, you know, even if things aren't okay, they are okay. And I, just a lot of, you know, I, I think the the way that you hold yourself, the way that you frame this reality, the way that you help people is something that could benefit a lot of people. And so um, I'm sure this wasn't something that you didn't kind of pop out of your mom's womb with. I'm sure that wasn't just no. kind of out no. the gate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'd like to really start this party off with talking about how, I mean, can you talk to me a bit of your journey? with this whole understanding your whole internal mental landscape, what was the whole motivation that yeah. got you? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, well, throughout my childhood, I experienced a lot of depression. Mm -hmm. And um, I think in particular, I had like this really chronic sense of myself as being different, like there was mm -hmm. something wrong with me. And in my early adulthood, uh, I just, I became very, focused, hyper-focused on searching for some sort of insight or breakthrough or, you know, help that could really just um, give me an experience of what I imagined other people had easily, which was feeling okay with their lives. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, people take for granted this experience of, of feeling okay, or at least I imagine they did. Mm. And uh, I was really, really driven by a, a sense of really like having no choice, but needing to, needing to really even just to function, needing to um, have some sort of insight or understanding that uh, transformed my life. It felt like a, like a do or die kind of thing. So that was, that was my early motivation. Mm. Um, yeah. So it all started from the pain of actually feeling that the negativity, yeah, depressing, it was a lot of internal yeah. talking, those types of things. And well, there was a sense, there was a sense of futility like mm. that no matter what I did, there was this persistent sense that there was something not okay, that there was something wrong with me. And I was driven by, uh, a search to try to make it better mm -hmm. in a sense. I mean, it was like in, you know, as I imagine we'll go into, it was misguided, but it was also extremely understandable when there's a sense of a problem. We become 
fixated on how to solve the problem. And uh, ironically, as it turns out, that's what perpetuates the problem. But in fact, that was that was precisely what was motivating me in the beginning. Just like a, this unquenchable search to solve the problem of myself is, mm. is really how I got started. That's excellent. And yeah, I mean, it's that, that whole, like what resists persists kind of thing. And when you yes, push exactly. up, yeah. you push up against yeah. it and then you fight it and that doesn't really make, you know, you're fighting, you know, when you, when it's not, you, the strength isn't the way, you know, I think of like jujitsu right. kind of stuff, you know, it's yeah, like, exactly. It's not, yeah. not effort, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a skill. So what, what did you try? So what were some of the things that you tried along the journey to try to qu quench that thirst? Well, I started with, um, I mean, I actually got a little bit lucky because early on I experimented with psychedelics mm -hmm. and, um, mushrooms and ecstasy both gave me little glimpses. Unfortunately, the glimpses they give winds up being mistaken with the experience. And so, you know, like I had these breakthrough moments of, of, peace and clarity and um, like an intuition that that love and fundamental okayness really is the nature of life. But I started to associate it with the experiences I was having on those drugs. And, and so although it gave me a, a really useful glimpse, it also kind of set me up to try to recapture that experience, which mm -hmm. also is another trap. Like when, when you, when you associate well-being with a particular experience, then you're always trying to hold on to that experience or get back to it or maintain it or whatever. Yeah. So that was, that was an early experience that I had that was both useful, but then also ultimately counterproductive. It, it's funny, like, especially with like psychedelics and those other types of experiences, it, it, it gives you a glimpse of what's possible, you know? Right. It's like all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, you're level 100 in World of Warcraft, right? And you have all these powers and abilities and you're super charged <laughs> yeah. up. Right? And you're like, I'm yeah. the most powerful thing ever. <laughs> right? And you wake up and you're like, I lost it. I lost yeah. it. I had, the, I had the secrets to the universe <laughs> and now they're gone. Yeah. I forgot yeah. it. Oh, yeah. well, well, again, so the key, the key is that the well-being that we're, we're after gets mistaken for a particular experience. And as long as you're associating it with a particular experience, then you become addicted to that experience. Yeah. yeah. And so, well, yeah. You're, you're talking about the difference of um, trying to consume love versus cultivate love, right? Or for example, yeah. like like the, that kind of pattern of behavior. So instead of like going out and saying like, for example, like the only way I can be happy is if I'm on drugs. The only way I can be happy is if I, if and the, 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 it's the only way I can be happy if part is the issue. Yes, right? that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, but it's not, it's, it's, it's more fundamental than we realize because mm -hmm. the bottom line for virtually everyone is the only way I can be happy is if I'm having a particular thought or a particular feeling that we associate mm -hmm. with happiness. Everybody has a different strategy of how to get that thought or feeling, you know, like for some yeah. people it's money, for some people it's status, for some people it's relationship, whatever. But underneath it all, we associate well-being with a particular feeling or a particular thought or a particular sense of ourselves. Mm. And that's the trap because thoughts and feelings are just part of this mind stream that's always changing from moment to moment. And as far as, as far as I've experienced, there's nothing that makes that thought stream be permanent 
anything. It's always in motion. Got it. So you're saying that the, you don't necessarily need to feel a certain way or be a certain way to be okay. You there is That's a, right. You're abstracting That's right. out, right? Because you're talking about like the way I think of in terms of like uh, the geeky clinical terms, like your limbic system, right? Your limbic system is what you feel, right? And it says you're going right. through and it gives you all the sensations. So like if I want if I want to feel terrible, all I need to do is drink a whole bunch of coffee, not work out, don't do any mindful activities. And just really, really think hard about things and try to think my way to problems, right? <laughs> and it's a great, it's a great way for me to cause fights. It's, it's yeah. a hoot. You should check it out. Yeah. You should try it sometime. Really, I have. Yeah, it's a good time. Well, it's that's what I'm saying. But 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 in this same like, but oh, the only way I can be happy is if I do all of those other things, right? If I if, the only right. way I can be happy is if I you know do all those other activities. But what, what you're saying is that even if you are in that state, even if I am in that state. State, I can I can still deassociate myself from those feelings from that. That's thought exactly process. right. Well, yes. But how do you? How do you? Let me ask you. Like, let's look at technology, right? How do you quiet the mind with all this fast-paced te technology around us right now? What does that look right. like? Well, so that's another, um, I guess, trap. Yeah. Because, like, for example. People who are into meditation misunderstand meditation. The point of it, they think, okay, what I'm doing is I'm relaxing, I'm quieting the mind, you know, I'm, I'm getting to this peaceful state. But again, anything that can change does change. Mm -hmm. Anything that hasn't always been a certain way will never remain a certain way. And so when we when we associate well-being, not only with any particular external circumstance in our life, but when we associate it with a mental state, we're putting, we're basically putting all our chickens in something that, with all of our eggs in something that can't remain a certain way. Yeah. So the answer to the question, how do you like remain calm or how do you, you know, remain peaceful or how do you mm -hmm. quiet the mind is that you don't. You, you, you recognize that it doesn't need to, mm. when you, when you deeply and profoundly recognize that the mind doesn't have to be relaxed, it doesn't have to be quiet. It doesn't have to be still. It can just be however it is. This paradox happens and it starts to quiet down. And the reason why it starts to quiet down is the mind is motivated to solve the problem of itself. That's what keeps it churning. Mm. So when there's a recognition, it's okay as it is, it's motivation to try to fix itself subsides and then it gets quiet. So it basically the answer to your question is it gets quiet by realizing it doesn't have to. Got it. So it's, it's a, a couple different parts with that. So one, you can, you can recognize that it's fast paced and, and, and things are going crazy and, and you're being aware. And then you could then recognize that then you're trying to fix the problem. And then you've got to shift exactly. the, the recognition beyond that, shifting the problem to just accepting it. And then you accept it. Like, is that what you're saying? Like in terms of like, well, okay, it's, it's almost what, so it's, that's close. That's close to what I'm saying. So when there's a recognition of the, of the strategy or uh -huh. the motivation to try to fix the problem, mm -hmm. the, the, no, the reason why I call the, the process that I teach noticing is because you're not trying to change anything. You're just trying to notice. Well, one of the things that you'll notice is the chronic fixation on trying to change things. Mm -hmm. But here's the key. That habit or addiction to trying to fix things doesn't itself need to be fixed. It just needs to be noticed because what's noticing it is already okay. 
Mm. That's the key. When there's a recognition of the mind's addiction to fixing, the intelligence that notices that isn't doing that. It's just noticing. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I, I, I was talking to you a little bit before this podcast, how uh, this weekend, the one of the things I realized that I was struggling with is with these these self-judgments or these judgments about myself or with people or with the fact that you have a lovely head of hair on and like any of those situations that I'm like, there's these judgments and storylines that pop up that stop me from actually connecting. And I was able to get out of that set and say, okay, I'm, and recognize that I was doing a story or recognize I was doing a judgment and I would let go of it. And there was a lot of dancing going on the weekend. And so I would, I would feel myself get self-conscious and I would let it go let it go and i and i was i was more so i'd recognize the story and i would just like just let go of it and, and that was exactly yeah that was a, a thing i kept i kept doing and i felt yeah. a lot more uh let's say joyous yeah as I was going through so so it's not that it's not that there's anything that actually needs to be let go of because mm -hmm. what happens is is there's a recognition that we're actually not holding it and it's mm -hmm. not holding us anymore so it's like it's like you know it's raining outside and that's fine. It's no problem. It has nothing to do with me. When there's a similar recognition of mind, of our own thought stream, yeah. it's just, it's mental rain. It's fine. Then it doesn't matter what it's doing. And ironically, as soon as there's a recognition, it doesn't matter what it's doing. It gets quiet. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, that ties into the other part, I think, which is, I think, critical part of this being okay-ness is not taking things personal. I think oftentimes, especially with entrepreneurs and people putting their stuff out there, they're, they're, they're going on a podcast or they're making their own podcast or they're, they're doing something for the first time. And there's a lot of, you know, um, things that are going on and someone might make a comment about something about, Oh, the, the audio quality was, I couldn't, I couldn't listen to it. Right. And it's like, that's not my fault or insert whatever, whatever there is, it is it, how does it also tie in with, with the, the not taking things personal, even if someone is, you know, um, saying things that might be critical of what you say, do think or behave or even anything. Great. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, like if I say, don't think of flying elephants, immediately you're going to be thinking of flying elephants. Mm -hmm. It's not really possible to not take things personally because the mind is programmed probably, you know, like evolutionarily to have strategies to create optimal circumstances as optimal as possible. Like literally our brains have evolved as this cool tool that can make situations better. And it's always working on that task. So, and, and one of the ways it does that is by taking things personally. So, so, making it stop is, is, you know, like chasing windmills or whatever the expression is. It's, 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 that's not what happens. What happens is there's a recognition that it's a useful tool, but it's not us. Mm. It's something the brain is doing for a reason, a reason that we can have empathy for, Oh, it, it wants the best outcome. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. When there's a recognition that the mind is doing something really in service to life and maybe it's misguided, maybe it's not, but it, it has an understandable motivation, but more importantly, it's not who we are. It's not what we are. It's just a mental process. Then there's this recognition of thoughts of taking it personally, but there isn't a taking of that personally. Mm. That's the key. So it's not 
don't take it personally. It's recognizing that the taking it personally is not personal. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. I, I like that too. It's almost like if, um, uh, I, here's what was coming to my mind is almost like if you have a pet and that pet brings you something, maybe it's a, a, a random toy or a, a dead animal, or whatever they, they bring you something like, Hey, I brought you this. And you're like, Oh, well, thank you for that. This is absolutely not useful <laughs> and might be toxic, but I, I will put that to a side. Thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. Right. Yeah. It's almost that same type of thought, you know, yeah. and, so, and that's, yeah. and that's the ego taking something personal. Go, Hey, we should be aware of this. You're like, yes, I yeah. see what you're saying. <laughs> I thank you for this thing. I am not going to use. I will put it off to the side, pat it on the head, go about your day. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's, it's basically learning how to relate to your own mind in exactly that way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I've got, that's going to be in my head now. Yeah. Uh, we got, we got the, uh, uh, VR jungle podcast who is talking about it. It, you know, um, and he put up, just put a little comment here. We'll, we'll, we'll just comment on it real quick here. Stay modest and know the next steps and you'll make it and you'll be better. Life is one big lesson. Do you have any, uh, any, any thoughts on that one, Brian? Yeah. I mean, I like, I like the idea that life is one big lesson because, um, you know, like when, when our interpretations of what's happening kind of happen beneath the level of recognition, like mm -hmm. that's where all suffering happens when, when something happens and then we interpret it as meaning something about who we are or what we are or how our life is going. We're not actually suffering what's happening. We're suffering that unconscious interpretation of what's happening. Mm. And so seeing basically anything that life can bring as a lesson is, is basically kind of like being open to, to, to any life circumstance, to any life situation as another opportunity to experience that disidentification that we were talking about, mm. you know, like, so what's it like to be fundamentally okay when this is happening, when this is happening, when this is happening. That's cool. So it's almost like you're reframing the meaning, right? The meaning of what's happening to you in terms of if something happens instead of it being that is good or that is bad. It's just, that is a lesson, right? It is a, yeah. it is a, or, or, a carbon neutral lesson. You know. Right. Or what I would say is even more fundamentally, because we actually don't even experience the thing out there that's happening. All we ever experience is our own mind as it interprets it, gives it meaning, categorizes it, creates a past and a future from it. Mm -hmm. Recognizing that that's all we're experiencing is our own mind is really mm -hmm. where the freedom lies. And what's interesting about that is look at this in terms of social dynamics. Um, you know, when we experience pain, uh, physical pain, right? Um, it's the same thing as when we feel experience social pain, it kind of registers in the same parts of the brain, right? You have that, oh my God, that hurts, whether it's, uh, you know, it, something physical happens or someone's critical to you. And That's so right. it's, it's very easy, I think, for us and me and you in this in the state where we're in right now, to be able to have this type of conversation and, and go back and forth. But what would you recommend in terms of like mindset exercise or things that you could do to get ready for that confrontation? Because I think once you're in it, it's very hard to kind of separate yourself from the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so how would you prime the brain to go in a situation where you're like, there's going to be conflict ahead. What can I do to prep for that? What advice do you have? Yeah, I love that question. So the first thing is that it's natural and human to have reactions. Mm -hmm. So what isn't necessary is 
seizing control of the brain, seizing control of the conditioning. Like, you know, what isn't necessary is doing some mind Jedi mind trick. So you never have fear or you never have sadness or you never have anger. That's not what it's about. What it's about is, I mean, I really kind of shy away from the, the idea of cultivating something or practicing something because this is really more about recognizing that we're already okay. Mm. Having said that, there is a cultivation of compassion for the mind as it does whatever it does. So having some experience and some confidence, some pre-existing confidence with, oh, there's my mind reacting with anger to this situation. There's my mind reacting with fear to the situation. And simultaneously disidentifying with it and yet having compassion for it because it's very human and it's very understandable to, you know, like anyone, if they have some extremely undesirable thing happen is going to have human reactions to that. I mean, I've, I've never met anyone who doesn't. Mm. And yet when there's this uh, noticing, when there's this recognition of it and that recognition, rather than trying to control it, meets it with understanding and compassion, then, then it basically deepens our confidence that we are okay, regardless of what our mind is doing, mm -hmm. including in situations that where there's a triggering emotion happening. Got it. So it's almost like what you're saying is the main thing that you can do in terms of a, a, a prep work or something going into a conflict or a situation is to just recognize that you will get triggered, things will happen, and that will be okay. And the best thing to do it is to is to not react, but just be aware of how the situation is making you feel and, and understanding that and, and accepting those feelings that go through you versus trying to reject your own feelings or try to control what the other person does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, there's, there's even, there's a deeper layer. I don't know, yeah. like, how deep let's, we want to go with let's keep, this. Let's keep going. I'm going for the okay. deep end. <laughs> All right. Beautiful. <laughs> so in any situation where something's happening, mm -hmm. the first layer is, is the mental reactivity, you know, like oh, I really don't want this to be happening or I really need this to be different or, you know, whatever, like some, some kind of like what's happening isn't okay. And I want it to be something else. But behind that, and this is the thing that, this is really why I call it noticing practice, because there's another aspect of our experience that because we're identified with it, which means because we think we are it, it isn't being noticed. It's an experience, just like the fear, just like the anger, just like the whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's an experience that's being identified with. And it's, it's the simplest way to say it is it's the sense of ourselves who is wishing this situation was different the sense of ourselves who's being upset by the situation. So there's not just the upset, but there's the thought and the feeling. It's really kind of a, a synergistic uh, constellation of both. The thought or the feeling of ourself wanting to be happy, wanting to not be upset. When that sense of self is noticed, the me who, who has, you know, like, preferences about how life goes, when that sense of self is recognized, instead of identified with, 
then the, the entire machinery of however our brain is conditioned starts to come apart. It starts, mm-hmm. to, it starts to untangle. So the, the key is to not only notice what we're experiencing, but notice that the sense of there being a me who is experiencing something is also an experience. And when that gets noticed, what's noticing it is this fundamental or unconditional well-being that we're talking about. Got it. So what you're saying is it's almost like there's multiple lenses on that you have, right? And you have like you have a, a pair of shades on, you have a pair of glasses on, and then you have all these lenses on. And so you're you're going through it and you're and you're recognizing and each time you recognize it, you take off one pair of glasses. That's exactly right. You go back yeah. again. So you're looking at that from a perspective of, okay, in this situation, um uh, uh Brian's stopping me from doing this thing. I can't believe Brian's doing that. And then I go pull, go back one, I go Oh man, it's not Brian doing that way. I'm feeling this way. It's my, I'm trying to, I'm trying to control the situation here and I'm trying to control Brian. It's really my, I wish, I wish I could just be happy. Why am I always this way? And I go to myself and then I take a step back from that and go, Oh, I feel, I, you know, I feel for you little ego person of myself. And I am, I I recognize that you want to be happy and I know you're not right now and that's okay, but I will be with you. Right. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then you take a step back from that and you're taking off those glasses. And, and, That's exactly and, right. But going back through that process. And when you've taken all of the, and this is, it gets pretty profound and a little mm-hmm. bit weird to talk about mm-hmm. because the original glasses, and I mean, I'm not really like that well versed in developmental psychology, but mm-hmm. it's definitely not something we're born with. The original pair of glasses is something that develops along with the sense of self when we're somewhere in between infancy and toddlerhood. It's the sense that there is a me at all. And when, when that me who, even like, even the me who seems to be noticing all these other layers, when that, because even that is just mental phenomena. It's just, it's just thought and feeling mind stream. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's either, it's, it's, it's a sense of contraction here, or it's a sense of contraction in the head, in the brain. Mm-hmm. When the original glasses get taken off and looked at, which is the sense of self itself, what happens is awareness, noticing intelligence, this, this function to be aware of something gets completely uncoupled from the concept of me. And then there's, there's, there's nowhere for dissatisfaction to stick anymore. There's just this noticing awareness. Can you say and that so again? That's, can you say one more time? You said awareness, noticing attention causes what to happen. Can you say that one more time? So, so, so what happens really from childhood on yeah. is awareness, that which notices uh-huh. is, is, and this is the, this is, it's like the way I talk about it with my clients is that we're, we're in a trance basically. Whenever we're unhappy, whenever we're experiencing dissatisfaction, we're in a trance the, or we're hypnotized. And the hypnosis is when awareness is coupled with the sense of self. The sense of self is an experience. Awareness is not an experience. Awareness is the recognition of experience. But in our normal, tip, not, in our typical state, that noticing is coupled with the concept me. 
the concept I, I'm noticing, I'm seeing, I'm feeling. When that, when that fundamental or somewhat primal or primitive experience called me or the sense of self or the thought of me is noticed, then awareness is uncoupled from it. It's just noticing it. And then its state, its nature becomes more apparent because the glasses were making it seem like a me, but it's not a me. It's not a self. It's not a point. It's not a, it's not a fixed thing with a biography. It's just this aware intelligence. And so the reason why ultimately that okayness can be experienced regardless of circumstances is because it's in the nature of awareness to be okay, regardless of what awareness is uh, lighting up, even if what it's lighting up is thoughts of not being okay. Got it. So you, well, I'm not going to say got it. <laughs> I'm processing what you're saying. And from what I understand, and from my understanding, what you're saying is that there's, there's this, there is a uh, an awareness, a, a a a something that is observing what we are doing. There's a and, and what it's doing is is whenever we try to apply labels on something and judgments on things and and trying to shift anything that is not now, right? I wish it would be different in the future. I wish I was something in the past. I wish I had these other things. Whenever we try to control, direct or try to desire something in a direction, then that creates that sense of not being okay versus no matter where we're at right now, whether whether we're uh, you know uh, a billionaire, whether we're a poor person, whether we're fully healthy, whether we're entirely sick, whether we're you know just about to die, whatever the situation is, we're, we are okay. We are okay because we are, we are simply observing what is around us at any point in time. And everything else is just us trying to control the situation of life happening around us. That's right. The only thing I want to add to that is the, the sense of being someone who either understands or, or doesn't understand this, who either remembers this or doesn't remember it, who either gets it or doesn't get it. Yeah. Is just mental phenomena. Isn't anything to remember. There isn't anything to know. There isn't anything to understand because we are not the mental processes that have temporary and transient getting something or understanding something or feeling something. So it's it's disidentifying with the me who gets it or doesn't get it. It's not getting it and then maintaining the getting it. It's recognizing it. It's rec It's the recognition that the getting it and not getting it is just mental phenomena that comes and goes. Got it. I have, I have two parts of that. First, uh, MG here had a solid comment that I want to I light up right here. I don't know if you've seen Tropic Thunder. It seems like the meme from Tropic Thunder right now says, I'm the dude acting like a, a dude playing another dude. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a pretty, pretty solid quote there, MG. I, I appreciate that. Um, it's, uh, yes. Is, 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 and that's almost like our awareness you know, is, yeah. is disguised as a dude playing another dude right now. That's and, right. And yeah. really what we are is, and my question then is, if that is the, that is the, the kind of the comment um, that you're making or kind of the point, 
then what are we? What is, if, if we are not our mental phenomenons and we are not our physical bodies and we are not our limbic systems, then what, what at the essence of us are we? So I don't want to, I don't want to answer that question in some sort of mystical mumbo jumbo way. So like, okay. cause this is the, the, for this to be useful, it has to, there has to be a recognition. Oh yeah. That's in fact, actually my experience. Mm-hmm. We are not any of that mental phenomena. Mm-hmm. We are what notices that mental phenomena, literally, because if we can notice it, it's, it's not what we are. Like you, we aren't what we notice. We are what notices. So I don't want to give it a name. I don't want to give it a label. Just that whatever it is that we are, we are not what is noticed. And all this mental phenomena is something that can be noticed. And therefore, it's not what we are. Oh, okay. That, uh, I'm hearing you on that one. The first thing that went to my head was like, but, if you, but what you could do is you could notice it and you could package it up and you could label it and you could sell it. That'd be great. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, but you're right. Okay, so so anything that you can notice isn't you. That's right. And that's and that and that's what that comes. I mean, down. think about it. That's just like not only can you observe that to be true, because mm-hmm. like, and this is the thing is like when the sense of self, like we're just talking about this, but if there's an actual observation of the sense of self, mm-hmm. there's a a deep and tacit experiential understanding that we are not it. In the same way that you can like, you know, you can look at a thing and there's because it's being seen, there's a recognition that we aren't it. Mm. What happens with mental phenomena is it doesn't get recognized. It gets overlooked. It's it's like, you know, a fish overlooking water. So when so when the sense of self, the original uh, uh, like uh, motivating force behind the trance you know, that we spend our whole lives in when that sense of self is recognized, there's like this, you know, chills down the spine light bulb of, Oh my God, that's not me. Or rather that is the sense of me, but it's not what I am because I'm what's seeing it. Mm -hmm. And even that thought, even that insight, even that light bulb is not what we are. It's also just the mind. So ultimately what I'm talking about, most people think well-being comes from having an optimal, optimal mental state by one means or another. And what I'm talking about isn't that. It's the recognition that we are not that mental state. And so it's fine being however it is. Yeah. And you're, you're talking about this awareness of the awareness, right? There's this awareness of the mental phenomenon, awareness of whatever's going on in your mental landscapes and this, this stuff that's going on. Now, how, because it's one thing to say, okay, yeah, no problem. I, I, for the most part, or from what I understand, I get what you're saying about, we can just continuously be aware of that situation. But then how do you, how do you actually tactically, practically bring that into the forefront? How do you, how do you practice that on a day-to-day basis so that you don't, it's not just something that's a, you know, a meme that's, of the dude being skies yeah, yeah, another yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, how do you integrate yeah. that into you? Yeah. So the reason why it seems the reason why it isn't obvious and, and it is only intellectually or conceptually clear, but not experientially clear is because there's something arising that's actually still being identified with instead of being recognized. Another way of saying it is the place from which that question arose, the sense 
okay, well, that's fine, but that's not really my experience. There's, there's an experience arising right now that's persuasive that you're not already in that place in reality. When that mental phenomena, maybe a feeling in the chest, maybe a, a squeezing in the brain, maybe some concept of yourself, when the mental phenomena that is responsible for it not seeming to already be true is noticed, there's a recognition that it's already true. So what happens is there's this experiential sense of being fine in the presence of the personality as it is. Mm -hmm. But it's not something you can understand intellectually. There has to be an actual noticing. The answer to your question is there has to be a noticing of what's making it seem like it's not already true. And then my question for that is, in, is how do you develop the habit of noticing? So luckily we have this built-in thing where stuff happens and the mind reacts. Mm -hmm. And normally what happens is we follow our typical strategies of trying to fix it or change it or have some control over it. If instead we become curious, not only to what we're experiencing, but what's behind, like I said, it's like, it's the answer to your question is we take off the glasses and we look at them. So there's the, there's the feeling of something not being okay. But then behind that, there's, there's this sense of like, Oh, I just really wish it was different. Like fundamentally, when something's really triggering, it has to be triggering in one of three ways. It's either triggering because there's a sense of craving. Oh, I just really want this thing that in me. Or there's a sense of aversion. Oh, I just really, like, it feels like it's hurting me that this thing is happening. Or there's a sense of identity that this thing is happening means I'm broken, I'm flawed, I'm deficient in some way. As we dive deeper instead of, so like the, what, what, the momentum is to stay with our strategies of trying to fix it or change it or do something about it. But if instead we turn awareness towards the source, mm -hmm. towards the, the sense of ourselves really needing the situation to be different, and we look at it. So we turn around, we turn attention around, and we look at the thoughts and feelings of things aren't okay. They're horrible. I need them to be different then that disidentification process starts to, starts to occur. So there's like, so basically you start to experience yourself not as the me who has a problem, but as this witness friend in the presence of the me who has a problem. Mm. And the more, more that becomes your, your actual felt experience that you are with or alongside or in the presence of, this suffering self rather than you are the suffering self, then what happens is there starts to be an actual ease, an actual sense of humor, an actual, oh my gosh, it really is okay. And a sense that it, it's not a life or death situation. It's really mm -hmm. actually okay. And, and basically over time, what develops is, a, is an actual confidence that the mind can do whatever it's doing and it doesn't actually affect us. Mm. So it's almost like instead of 
you're talking about like instead of rejecting these feelings or or shaming yourself for having these feelings or shaming your feelings uh, for having cravings um or you know any of those situations it's it's recognizing it and then just being the friend that is witnessing the friend with the cravings or the judgments or the that's things right. and then and just mm -hmm. be there with them you know as a as a good friend would do um, that's exactly as, right and as most as most uh, significant others like girls want you to do they don't want you to fix the problem they just want they want you to be there with them as they experience the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. So what happens is when we when we have that kind of relationship with our own mind, yeah, it winds up um, like I, I can't remember who I'm quoting, but there's some quote like the the mind is a useful servant or a useful secretary, but it's a terrible boss, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. So what happens is there's this humor or this friendliness towards the mind doing its various strategies, but there's no longer the sense that it's the one in charge any more than your hand is in charge. Your hand is just a tool in the same way that your hand is just a tool. The mind is just a tool. And when the mind gets demoted to tool status, it becomes okay, whatever it's doing. So it's not even it's not even your mind that's in control. It's the consciousness that is controlling the mind that is in it is really the 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 observer of the mind and then the, and this and all of those things because none of those things actually have effect. They mostly sway of opinions. They sway your actions. And so yeah. if, if you give them ability to vote on what you do, I'm I'm hungry. Right. I'm I'm angry. I'm you know whatever self conscious. You can yeah. Those are all those are all votes that you can choose to, to tally up or not. Yeah, and, so, and one of the things I would say is that the mind becomes more intelligent or more uh -huh. discerning or more wise uh -huh. after it gets demoted. So when there's the sense that everything is at, at stake with, the, with having things be a particular way, when the mind's strategies and motivations seem like the one and only way to, to be okay, it winds up being not very good at its job. Mm. But when, when there's that sense of compassion or empathy or humor, you know, depending for the mind doing whatever it does, it winds up getting smarter. Mm -hmm. So we, we wind up being less reactive in a sense because the reactivity isn't taken so seriously. Mm. So then, yeah. And you said it was uh, compassion, empathy, and humor. Is that what you said? Or the kind of the, the, the bomb defusal kit? Of the mind kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, think about it. So like we spend our whole lives, like everybody, everyone I've ever worked with, including myself, has some sort of version of, I absolutely need this thing to be ultimately and totally and absolutely okay. And yet we have this intuition that it's impossible. Everyone has some version of this. I need this thing and yet I can't get this thing. And so life becomes this real like kind of miserable chore or, or um, uh, go wild goose chase where we're like, it's, it's, never, it's never quite done. It's never quite there. And it's like, it's, it's you know, it's kind of depressing. Mm -hmm. When there's this recognition that the unsolvable puzzle doesn't actually need to be solved, it's yeah. funny. It's really funny. Yeah. There's humor and compassion and relief. Like, oh my gosh. I don't have to not be depressed. I don't have to not be upset. I don't have to not be unfulfilled. 
then all of a sudden, it's so ironic, all of those things wind up happening, not because we finally got there, but because we deeply and profoundly realized we didn't have to. Hmm. So it's almost like what we're doing is we are creating our own unhappiness by creating these mental thoughts and kicking the can of, of this desire, right? You go up to it, you kick it, and then you go chase it, and then you're unhappy, you kick it. And then you feel the sense of feeling defeated or, you know, um, as in futility, like futility, a futility. And that's yes. what I think like, and one thing in terms of like game designs and things like that is like, if you make a game unwinnable, if you feel like every time you get close to the goalpost, someone moves the goalpost, you feel like that's the right. game's unfair. You feel like there's no way to win. You feel like, what's the point? You feel that sense of defeatism that then causes you to then, you know, want to quit or want to try to find any kind of quick win. Right. And a quick that's win. Right could be uh, um, crappy food, it could be drugs, it could be, um, you know, porn, it could be basically anything That's that gives exactly you a, right. a quick bump to where I was like, I'm not playing that game. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home and eating the whole bag of Cheetos. That's exactly so, right. Yeah. And so, and so the, the, basically the fundamental confusion at the source of what you just described mm -hmm. is when well-being is equated with, with the mind, when the well-being is, is equated with the mental state when well-being is equated with what we're thinking and feeling, mm. then that futility is inevitable because it's impossible to have an ideal experience and keep it there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen. That's, that's, that's really, really interesting. I, I, <laughs> I had, <clears throat> I had this weekend, uh, where the guy who was hosting it, uh, he had uh, two things he said every single time, and it was only joy and hold on tight. <laughs> and there was a lot of joy and there was a lot of holding on tight. <laughs> and so I'm wondering if that if that if you have anything, any comments around that and how that kind of relates um, or doesn't relate to what you're talking about, about this okayness and no matter what happens in the situation to to kind of have a certain um, way around compassion, empathy, or humor. And it doesn't have to be if you, if you just. Yeah, no, well, I, I feel, I mean, I don't know exactly what, what he meant, but, he, mm -hmm. but here's, here's what I, what I'll say yeah. about that. When, the, when there's a, like this, I mean, it's, it's a, like, it's, it's a very uptight mental state to believe that we need to be relaxed when we are not, to, to believe we need to be in acceptance when we're not. Striving for acceptance in the presence of non-acceptance is extremely non-accepting. So, so the, the only actual acceptance or surrender in the presence of tension or non-surrender or searching is the recognition that it's okay. Mm. It's okay for the mind to be searching. It's okay for the mind to be seeking. It's okay for the mind to be resisting. That's what non-resistance, that's what actual non-resistance is. It's so all-encompassing, it's so allowing, that allow it allows resistance and non-acceptance to be exactly as it is. Mm. That's the freedom. That's how freedom happens right now. The recognition that the mind wanting things to be different 
doesn't need to be different. Mm -hmm. So accepting all things, even your desire to have something be different is, is, is the acceptance of that. And once you accept all things, it's like, it's the ultimate form of acceptance is true freedom. Yeah. Except, here's the thing because the mind, so the, the, the ego or the personality or the sense of self so wants to co-opt this, you know, it's like, it's, it's embedded in even what you just said. It's like, how do I do what he's talking about? You don't. The, the me that is trying to figure out how to do this doesn't do it. It gets recognized mm -hmm. to be other than what we are. And I think what I'm trying to look at, and it's, it's funny you say it though, is that there's, there, there is a, 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 this is a mindset. This is a, a way of understanding, to, a way, a lens to look through life. So this, this constant noticing. Right. Yeah. And that is that is a cultivation. There is that that is a that is a, a mindset that then forms a strategy, which that strategy is constant and constant knowingness. And so constant say, okay, what am I feeling? Notice that. What am I feeling? Notice that. What am I feeling? Noticing that. And that is something that is a state that we're not, I'm definitely not used to doing. So what I'm trying to understand this from the point of is, is tactically, practically, how do I integrate this into my life so that when I can, when I get in those situations, being able to recognize and let go, recognize and let go in that process, yeah. you know, there's, so, I, you know, do I, do I need to tattoo it on my arm, do I, inside of my eyelids? So when I close my eyes, like just, yeah. you know. So, so here's the thing. The mind understands and doesn't understand. It remembers and forgets, and it kind of goes through cycles all the time. Mm -hmm. but noticing actually isn't ever not happening unless we're dead and then we don't know what's happening or maybe in like the deepest layers of sleep. Mm -hmm. Noticing isn't actually something that needs to be maintained as a strategy. What happens is something's arising and there's a recognition of it. Mm. The one caveat to that is, it is useful if what's being recognized is recognized through the lens of it's not okay. There's another experience that's reacting to the experience. There's, a, there's, a, there's an experience of mind reacting to another experience of mind. And that's the thing to notice. So it's, you don't want to turn this into a goal of self-improvement. That's just another trap that keeps it going. Uh-huh. But you do want to notice if that is happening. So it's like there's all these things happening and then there's the mind trying to turn this into a practice. How do I do what he was talking about? Notice that. Noticing how do I do what he was talking about is itself what I'm talking about. And it makes it so there's nothing to do. Mm. It's interesting. How do you balance that with you know, uh, our other desires for progress and for achievement, right? In life goals. If yeah. I, if I do that, I, I just stop eating, stop drinking and sit in the corner and die. That's a really good question. So when I work with people and we come like there's, there's none of the experiences that we have are actually a problem, including desire. So one of the questions I ask people when they become aware of some desire they have. Like, you know, it's like, obviously, like, I mean, I experience desire all the time. There's a desire to improve our finances. There's a desire to, you know, improve our life situation in any number of ways. The question I ask people is, as you notice that desire, does the desire feel inspiring or does it feel um, debilitating? If you're thirsty, 
like I, I would say pretty much universally, unless you're in a desert or something, if you're thirsty and there's a desire for water, it's inspirational of action. There's like, oh, thirst, desire for water, and then there's a reaching for the glass, filling the glass, and drinking. There's no problem with that. Sometimes desire gets experienced in a debilitating way, though. It's not inspiring. It's not enlivening. It doesn't increase our sense of we don't have a yes in relationship to it. And those are the moments where there's something deeper to notice. Mm. But desire in and of itself, like obviously if, you know, this isn't about having no desire because then you're right. We would just sit and be unmoving and we'd die. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but awareness helps us distinguish desire that is life positive or desire that's, you know, making us be stuck. Yeah. So what you're saying is it is okay to desire. What it isn't is whether or not it's like the same thing with the mind. Is it, it's, a, it's a great secretary. It's a terrible master. Exactly. That's right. It's on the same page with, this, with the desires. If the desires is serving you to motivate you to take action and it can inspire you, to actually do something because we know when we when we do something difficult right and and challenging at the end of that well it's it's like you know when people go to boot camp they say it's the greatest fun they wish they never had again right <laughs> right it's yeah. the same type of thing right so so if that that inspiration so is it serving you to take action or does it feel like a sense of overwhelming you can't do it that's and, right and, and does, it, does it go in the areas of depilitation and judgment and it's like it's like everything else with with food or with water there's a level that it serves you, and then there's a there's a point that it kills you, right? Yeah. With, with all yeah. things. So just noticing seems to be the word. Please, anybody's playing, please yeah. take a drink every time we say the word noticing. Um, <laughs> or don't. Uh, but looking at that is noticing that situation. Then say, okay, recognize what is it, and then actively choosing, okay, I'm going to choose this because it serves me to the highest level. So here's, here's what I would say. Mm -hmm. If desire, like if you just notice the desire mm -hmm. and it feels inspirational and you, it, like there's no obstacle to taking action, there's no problem. Just do the thing. Mm -hmm. But if it feels anything else, it's not that there's a problem with the desire that you're noticing. We're never actually suffering the thing that we're noticing. What we're suffering always is the thing that we aren't noticing. So there's the desire and there's like, the clue is that the desire feels problematic. It feels debilitating. But then you want to notice, well, why does it? Guaranteed behind the desire that feels debilitating, there's going to be a sense of identity, like a sense of either a sense of ourselves as unable to accomplish the thing or a sense of our life situation or circumstances being too difficult or too, you know, something. Mm -hmm. So, if we experience desire as anything other than, than enlivening, the problem isn't the desire. The problem is the unconscious and unaware reaction to the desire that we aren't noticing. Mm. Got it. The unconscious reaction to the desire. Uh, what, let me ask you this, in terms of you have this practice, you uh, teach people um, this way of, say thinking or noticing through life and what is your ultimate holy grail for for your business and for this practice and what do you what do you strive to achieve uh with this um with this philosophy so the the way i think of it is 
when well-being becomes a goal that some future situation has to happen for it to be achieved, we're in some sort of trance. We've been hypnotized. We're in, we're in some kind of dream. And my interest when I'm working with people is to give them a, a glimpse of being awake from that dream. So like in a, in a session when I'm working with somebody, my only interest is guiding them through this noticing practice until there's this felt experiential intuition of, of being actually okay, regardless of what they're experiencing. And it happens virtually every time in the very first session. And like, I can see like this holy crap kind of moment kind of come over people's eyes. And then I say that, that's the point of what we're doing. And so, and so showing people that not just explain, like all we're doing in this conversation is explaining it, Mm -hmm. but having people go, Oh, and then I say that, that's, that's the point. And then, so what happens is, is literally the, the nervous system reorients around that. And, and in place of this futile search that never finishes itself, there starts to be this confidence or this intuition, deepening intuition of being fundamentally okay, rather than being fundamentally in need of something to be different. So gl- the glimpse of that is what motivates me to work work with people. Got it. Yeah, you're you're, uh, you're sharpening them to this sense of being okay and giving them awareness around it, and kind of, you know, it's 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 a form of of you know guiding people to a, a place of no suffering. You know. Yes, exactly. And the, here's the key that I want to mm-hmm. really share because this is really important because people come to me looking for relief from depression or looking for relief from anxiety or looking, you know, entrepreneurs looking for specific, um, you know, goals of having something change in their, you know, finances or whatever. And so the key is when they get that deep experiential glimpse of okayness, even without anything else changing, that's a fundamental paradigm shift. It's not just that we have this like, oh, yeah, I'm actually fine. It's that we have this, oh, I'm actually fine without anything changing at all. Mm. And that actually gives us the freedom to keep working on our goals, doing whatever it is. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But when you're doing it from a place of knowing you're okay, regardless of the outcome, it's a lot more fun Mm. than, oh my gosh, everything's on the line, whether this thing works out or not. Yeah. It, It brings you into more of a playful mindset versus serious mindset. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. What then do you feel is if you guide people along that path, what generally is the dragon that prevents people from getting there or prevents you from achieving that? From having that glimpse? Yeah. I mean, there's some paradoxes here because if if someone has the willingness to look, there's really, there's really nothing because there's like, it's, it's like, it's sort of like passing through this, um, crucible because for some people, like some people have really gnarly, uh, stories about their life. Like it's never going to happen for me. 
it's impossible. Some kind of, it's totally impossible. Like people have sometimes, you know, really like, I mean, I had really dark kinds of, um, life is this kind of hellish thing. That's the hellscape. That's never going to get better. Even in moments like that, if someone has a willingness to turn attention and to notice that mental phenomena, then the freedom that I'm talking about is possible. Even if someone doesn't have the willingness to look, then what they have instead is, I can't handle this. I can't look. And then all they, they don't, if they if they feel like they can't handle it, it's too much. Then all they have to do is notice that. So I, I would say that the one thing that keeps this from landing deeply is that people don't stay with it with curiosity and compassion. Because if you stay with it, really this free is is in what I've experienced, this freedom isn't inaccessible regardless of what we're experiencing. There's no mental state. There's no thought. There's no feeling. There's no, really the only thing that stops us is that we're not willing to look. Mm. Yeah. So it's just not willing to, to, to go into the cave you fear most, right? And the face to face it and then accept yeah. it. Yeah. Except, except that the, and this is like, you know, um, the thing that makes it much gentler than people imagine is if we're totally terrified and we don't want to look into the cave, mm-hmm. then looking at that is looking into the cave. <laughs> it, no matter where they're at, you're going to slice them off and have them notice it and, and, and yeah. recognize it and they, can, and they can take the step forward. That's and, right. And so it's easy. much gentler and it's much easier and it's much uh, more direct or immediate than we imagine. Love it. Um, Brian, it's been an absolute epic. Um, podcast. Uh, thank you for coming on. Is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you can tell them how to get a hold of you? No, just that, I mean, you know, this can seem like some sort of, uh, like what the hell is he talking about kind of thing. And I work, I work, you know, I don't work with people who have years of meditation behind them. I don't work with like a lot. Most of my clients have never done a psychedelic. I've never meditated. I've never anything. And yet, in the first session, usually maybe the second session at most, people have a glimpse and where, where I'm able to say, okay, forget everything that you thought you understood. What you just experienced is what we're doing here. It's very, it's very reliable. It's very replicable. It's very accessible. So I, I guess I would just encourage people you know, to, to have confidence that what we're talking about is actually not that difficult to experience. So no matter, no matter where they're at, it's achievable. Very much so, yeah. And if people want to get a hold of you to find out more about this, um, what can they do? Um, the easiest thing is to, to uh, go to my Calendly um, and, uh, and schedule like a free 15-minute consult, and we can have a conversation, you know, a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And how do they find that, Calendly? Um, well, can we put it like in the, the show notes? Or, yeah, we'll put in the yeah. show notes, but is there a website or a place for them to go to? Um, well, I have a presence on Facebook, but the going to the easiest thing is just to, to go to the Calendly link that, you know, okay. all right, can make sure you have. Roger that. So the Calendly link will be in the show notes, everybody. Um, we will be adding that in on the official podcast. You'll be able to get that at the Heroes of Reality website um, under uh, 
Brian Adler's podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Brian, for coming on. It's been an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on. Uh, thank you for taking the time to join us in the show. And I'm very see welcome. You. Yeah. Sounds good. Later. Thanks, Dylan. Yeah. All right, brother. Take care. All right. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes Quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or, if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.